Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What is up, Mets Up listeners? We are back here for episode number 36 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Giraffe Neck Mark, here with James Schiano. Jeter had no range, talking about the previous New York Mets series against the Atlanta Braves, as well as the MLB trade deadline, and a little Kumar Rocker stuff. It's getting a, a little rocky in Kumar Rockerland to have a awful, terrible pun. But that's how we're starting off the podcast today, talking about the Braves, trades, Kumar Rocker. You guys know where to find us. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at MetsUp YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. We're uploading a lot more over there. So if you like video content, that's the place to go. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help the podcast grow. And big shout out to you guys. The podcast has been growing. We had our best week ever. We had our highest viewed episode in like, what, 72 hours, I think it was? Yeah, and 24 and 48. Yeah, unbelievable stuff. Uh, really impressed with how well we've been doing, and that's a huge shout out to you guys for listening and interacting with the Twitter and Instagram and everything. So thank you so much for keeping the support up here. We've got a lot to talk about today. The games, maybe not so much because they were kind of easy, but we got a lot to talk about here. James, what are, what are we feeling here? What Mets trade deadline. Let's just talk about that real quick. Off the rip. How are we feeling right now? Because as of recording, we haven't made a move. Right. It's 7 p.m. on Thursday night. So by the time you guys are listening to this, just because we recorded early, I'm sure something will change. But I feel pretty okay right now with the way the trade deadline. Deadline's going. I would like to have made a move by now, but it seems like prices on rentals are a little bit higher than the Mets and other teams in baseball would like. And as you know, Mark, I'm a guy who's usually late to things as is. I don't really stress when I have like three hours left for like a five-hour project. That's like kind of the sweet spot. So I think tomorrow, maybe around two, I'll start to get nervous. The Mets still don't have any players. Which, if you guys are subscribed to my YouTube channel, Giraffe Neck Mark, here's a little plug for it. Me and James will be doing a trade deadline stream on my YouTube channel. So make sure you're subscribed over there. So if you want to see that, we're going to be going over all the Mets moves because we're going to make moves. I'm confident we're going to make moves. 100%. Steve Cohen apparently has been pressuring the front office to make moves. The guy who pays your checks wants you to make moves, you do it. Yeah, that's an interesting story in and of itself because historically, New York franchise and franchise all over the globe, all over the world, once the owners begin to meddle in player movement negotiations, that kind of puts you in a bad spot because now other general managers are extremely aware that your owner is putting pressure on you. They're going to hold you over the barrel a little bit. This happened very famously with the Knicks and Carmelo Anthony. They had a deal done for half of the players that ended up being traded for him, and it was detrimental to the team. Not comparing that to this... Take a step back. I don't think the difference between like Jalen Palmer and Mark Fiento is going to change the trajectory of the Mets franchise. However, you don't want the other teams to know that you're desperate. No, of course not. But before we do get going in deep into that, let's talk about the games. Yes. Just finished up a five-game series with the Atlanta Braves, and it was pretty Bad. awful. Yeah. It was a pretty terrible series. I mean, we got lucky in saying that we took two of five, which is weird to say. Mm-hmm. You know, two and three on the series. This is a series that easily could have been four games for the Braves, one for the Mets. Possibly five. Possibly five. The Mets offense just really didn't show up at all. Nah. We got three guys swinging the bat well right now. 
Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Drury. Those are names I didn't expect to say in one sentence. Uh, Brandon had a decent series as well. Same with Dom Smith here and there. True, not like super consistent like those other guys, but this series started right off the rip, not being able to hit a lefty, Kyle Muller. Who has had our number this year, and he was a top prospect in the Braves system for a while, and has kind of fallen off. I don't really know what to think about him yet. He's a big dude. It seems like his stuff is like decent. It doesn't seem like he's a bad pitcher by any means. His stuff is very good, and stuff was never the problem with Muller. It was always control. It seems like something has just snapped into place this season, starting with that his MLB debut against the Mets, where he threw four no-hit innings. The Mets were no hit into the third inning again on Monday afternoon until Marcus Stroman popped the lid off with a bump base hit, of all people. Yeah, we just couldn't hit Kyle Muller. He has our number, which is not good for the future. Wasn't good for that game. I mean, it, it was really easy. The Mets just lost that one, which is a shame because Marcus Stroman on the year has a 2.63 ERA and his record 7-9. and nine. Seemingly yeah. gets a decision every game whether he pitches well or poorly. Yeah, I guess that's a testament to Stroman and how deep he pitches into games. This was a worry that I had a few weeks ago since that weird hip thing he had against the Braves the last series we played against them. But again, this was more of Stroman being in control of a game. He didn't really have the feel of his off-speed pitches, something that he struggled with over the last month or so. It was a very sinker-heavy game for Marcus, which means he didn't really have many whiffs. He only got seven in the whole game on 38 swings. That's good for 18%. That'll get it done to the degree of like a, a now-below-average offense like the Braves and keep you in it. They're going to be the ace of all aces, just throwing 45% sinkers facing a Braves team that's like not as good as they were, but still like okay-ish. Yeah, the Braves still do hit, and as we know, like Austin Riley's a killer, and we'll talk about him at some point too, but we didn't hit. No. We had guys in spots to score. Alonzo and Conforto okayed in a big moment for us, mm-hmm. and then later... Brandon Drury came up, big double, pinch hit double, which has been, you know, a big strength of the Mets this year, the pinch hitting. Brandon Drury's been smoking hot, big double, VR walked, and then Pete Alonso hit into a double play on a pitch that, like, you, you wish he could have laid off. Yeah. But I know, we know Pete. Pete gets into a habit of trying to do a little too much later in the game sometimes. This is one of those moments where probably could have been a little more patient, ground into a double play. I mean, the Mets just didn't hit. Definitely, especially when Pete came up in that spot. It was the third time around the order. So you really hope that they could have taken advantage of Kyle Muller, Muller seeing him for the third time and seeing him in general for the second time in a month. And you kind of felt that he was losing it, like not in a little bit, like he was losing it a lot. Mets bailed him out. Yes, big time. That was the first pitch of the at-bat, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. yeah. You just can't, you can't do that. Can't do that. But again, Pete has been so big for us who would be to be upset with no, him, which never, we're not. I won't disparage Pete. I'm saying that particular at-bat, I wish he would have approached it differently. Yes, which we've said about him before. He will get over-aggressive sometimes in situations where he feels like he needs to pick the team up, especially in a game when the Mets were struggling offensively. Moral of the story, Mets got a hit. Yeah. They have to hit Kyle Muller. They have to hit the Braves' bullpen. They didn't do it in game one of the doubleheader. Another positive, though, Miguel Castro looked good. Yeah. This was the first time that the Mets did the Miguel Castro two innings thing, and it worked. Something we've lamented time and time again in this podcast, basically every single episode, tweeting it, talking about it personally with each other. I'm sure you Mets fans are all talking about it by yourselves, too. Every time Castro comes out for a second inning, it usually bites the Mets in the ass. This time it worked. Yeah, enough of game one. Just a quick and easy loss for the Mets. I mean, like, it's it's, less than two hours. Yeah, Yeah, about two hours. It stunk because we lost and it was a winnable game, but it really wasn't like heart wrenching, rip our hearts out kind of thing. Game two. Bullpen game. Yeah. And usually that doesn't chalk up well, but the bullpen was amazing. We didn't allow a single run. Yeah, bullpen shutout. Which you love to see. Loop got us started off. 
who seems like he is officially our opener now whenever we yeah. go to it. He's been very good in that in that role. He was good again. I love when Loop opens because you know he can get that Miller Light as quick as possible. He is ready to drink a beer whenever. No, he's a, is he a Miller Light guy? A Bush. He's a Bush Light guy. Bonda. Bonda, Miller who also guy. pitched in this game. Yeah. And Bonda actually looked good. Two innings, I think he struck out three. Yeah. Which is a nice recovery from his performance against the Blue Jays where he got shelled. Nice job by the bullpen overall. They obviously gave us a chance to win by not allowing a single run. Mm-hmm. And that's all we needed because we scored one run and we got the win and the stuff looked okay i think bonda is a little bit of something as awful as the pitching has been for the mets recently not that's awful as in like they perform poorly just awful as in the players you've seen on the mound appear to be awful we'll get to akeem bostic's major league debut in a moment here but bonda looks fine he looks like he's a guy who as we've said could really do some things adequately he is at least a dude who in a depth scenario for us he comes up and you go hey he's not this pitcher that we're going to have going in game three, Gerard Eikhoff, he's not that guy. No, he's not that guy. The other story of the bullpen game, I think, was Familia having a vintage Familia inning, putting himself in trouble and getting him out of it in magnificent fashion. But that's how you know he's doing his best. When he's doing that, you know something's clicking. And he was so hyped up to get out of the second inning, which is just really funny to like see on the scoreboard. And I think the fact they've already played a game, it made it feel like it was later in the game. And it was, just, I don't know, it was funny. It was a funny familiar moment. It felt like old times. Did feel like old times. Trevor May also pitching really well again, which is nice because I just got his jersey because he called me out on Twitter. That's officially came in, Trevor got his May. jersey. Are we wearing jerseys right now, Mark? We are wearing jerseys right now because just to go on off on a tangent here, if you're watching the YouTube video, me and James both wearing the black mess jerseys because we are back in black Friday. Carlos Carrasco making his debut. Me and James will be in the house wearing black jerseys, getting pumped, getting excited. Can't believe the Mets are not selling black jerseys. No, no. Not coming out till November. That's a terrible job. I don't know how that happens. Yeah, I thought we were going to hang out to the black jersey thing. You said jersey, so I said jersey. We're wearing jerseys. We're matching. If we would have gone on longer without talking about it, I think YouTube viewers would have been like, what the fuck are they doing? Yeah, they probably would have been a little <laughs> suspect of like, wait, are they? did they do this on purpose? What's yeah. the reasoning behind it? Yes, it's very much on purpose. Both of these jerseys are mine. But anyway, back to the game here. We talked about the bullpen being great. Let's talk about the offense now. There wasn't a lot, but Jeff McNeil, who's been scorching hot since mm-hmm. the All-Star break since coming back from the IL, big double off the wall for us. Massive. Gave us the lead. The only run we scored the entire day. Which is not a <laughs> sentence you love to hear if you're a Mets fan. One run on a day, you'd be like, oh, nine innings, not bad. No, 14 innings, one run. Yeah. And it came from Jeff McNeil late in the game, too. They really bailed us out. Bailed us out big time. He looks like he's getting back into the swing of things, which is really good to see, because as we know, early struggles to start the year, injuries, whatever it's been. He kind of looked like he was trying to go for a little more power over the average. He's raised his OPS to what, like 750 now, I think he's hovering around? Right now, his on-base percentage is 355 and slugging is 389. So, so he's in the 740s then. Yeah, you can handle that mental math. Yeah, 740s. That's like not good, but it's not bad, especially with how the OPSs have adjusted this year with pitchers with the sticky stuff and the balls being different. It's pretty like above average-ish. Definitely. McNeil as you reference, has been scalding hot basically since that series we played at Yankee Stadium. It's, everyone knows how easy it is to hit Yankee Stadium. It seems like those games really jump-started him. Since that series, he's hitting 379 with a 446 on-base percentage. That's crazy high. It's nuts. 530 slugging percentage, which is monumental for Jeff McNeil. Two homers, 11 runs scored, 13 ribeyes, 13.5 strikeout rate, 9.5 walk rate. That's a hell of a month. That's the player of Jeff McNeil. Like, we 
we're waiting for. Now, he's not going to keep up those numbers because that's MVP-type numbers that we're talking about there. But to be closer to that level than he was at the beginning of the year is really, really good to see moving forward into the season. Well, we're going to need McNeil. We're going to need him to step up, and it looks like he's at least attempting to. Going to need him. We need him right now. We only won these two games, like, mostly because of Jeff McNeil. He got the big hits time and time again this series. As few as there were, he did get them. Yep, and he bailed us out in game two. Got us a win, which was huge, because we had to at least get one. You can't get swept in a five-game series. Yeah, especially because game three was started by our favorite Mets DFA candidate, Gerard Eikhoff. And to put it simply, we're not going to talk about this game nah. because uh, I saw Jared Eikhoff walk the bases loaded and I said, oh, that's that's enough for me yeah, today. I don't need to watch this. The Mets lose 12 to 5. Yep. That's it. That's There's awesome. nothing to talk about there because hopefully, dear God, please, Jared Eikhoff never puts on the orange and blue for the New York Mets again. Sure, he's a great guy. He stinks as a pitcher. Yeah. I don't want to see him on this team ever again. There's no reason when there are competent arms. We've seen them. Mm-hmm. I would rather have Anthony Banda p- pitch five innings than Gerard Eikhoff. There's just no way around it. He threw two the day before. Yeah, but even then, still, I'm just saying, I would rather see anybody. Do another bullpen day. Nick Tropiano can't be as bad as Gerard Eikhoff. I would have liked to see either Tropiano or even Vance Worley get a shot this game. Give Zapuki another shot, even. Zapucky. Zapucky. Somebody has to be better than Jared Eikhoff. I mean, he's been DFA'd three times now by the Mets, and nobody's picked him up. You want to know why? Nobody wants him. He's no. bad. Actually, he's had his first two DFAs were different outcomes. One, he took the outright assignment. And the second one, he actually elected free agency, thinking someone else was going to sign him. And it was just the Mets calling once again. Because we need pitching badly like that. So yeah. hopefully we address that at the trade deadline. And a lot of Mets fans, I think, were wrongfully holding the Mets front office accountable for not acquiring a pitcher ahead of Tuesday night's game rather than pitch Gerard Eikhoff, Where There was thoughts that Tyler Anderson would be just yeah. picked, traded just to start this game, which I think was a little foolish of Mets fans. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, if a team knows you're desperate, if everyone in the league knows the Mets need a starter for tonight. They're going to up the price a little bit because they know you're trying to get him the next three hours. You don't really want to negotiate with your own deadline like that. The trade deadline, everybody has the same deadline. Everyone wants to get a trade done. You don't want to do a self-imposed deadline. And I don't really hold it against the Mets for not rushing to overpay for a trade to win one game against the Braves. And I feel like this is an extremely buyer, like it's a buyer-friendly market right now, even though there are so many teams interested and there are going to be some, you know, battles. A lot of these teams have to move the players that they have. Literally, it would be gross incompetence for guys like Trevor Story, Max Scherzer, Chris Bryant, um, John Gray. John Gray. For these guys not to get moved, it would be a catastrophic failure for the front offices of the teams they're currently on. So you are kind of in the catbird seat. You're going to be going against the other buyers, and the buyers have been very active besides the Mets. So well, we did get Rich Hill actually last week, so yeah, let's pump the brakes on that. But you just you want to make sure you still play your game here. Don't overextend. And I think the Mets are being smart. Yes. Now, granted, we're, again, under 24 hours away from the trade deadline. I'm sweating a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. It's granted, it's, yeah, it's hot in this room, but also the Mets haven't made a move. And the same thing, in the, in the same regards, nobody's left. So, whatever. We'll get into the trade deadline talk a little bit here. You could just tell. We're excited to talk about it. That's yeah. like the hot topic right it now. It is. It's buzzing. So, let's move to game four. Uh-huh. Game four. Tyler McGill. Yes. The man. Yes. He's big dick energy. God, he is. He is so <laughs> freaking good. And, like... He's actually not so friggin' good, but he is good. He is a very good pitcher. He's quite good. Tyler McGill, I think, has cemented himself as a major leaguer. I don't know in what capacity he will be in the future. I don't know what Tyler McGill's first arbitration hearing is going to look like or where he's going to fall between Robert Gazelman, Seth Lugo, and Jacob deGrom of the Mets' unheralded pitching prospects who have come up and risen quickly. But right now, this current juncture, 
July 29th, 2021, Tyler McGill has basically saved the Mets season. He really has. Not to, I, be, not to be too hyperbolic or like to exaggerate, but he really has. If we don't have Tyler McGill pitching every five days, this team is not in first place. No. That's a guaranteed fact. Because or, every or time, even over 500. Yeah, because every time he goes out on the mound, he gives us a really, really good chance to win. He puts us in the driver's seat of those games. He doesn't give up runs. He attacks batters. Mm-hmm. He does everything you want from a young pitcher. The development, like you said, it's it's almost impossible to figure out what he's going to look like in the future. Yes. Because he's doing stuff right now that isn't necessarily sustainable. No. You don't see a lot of pitchers doing it. Like, how many fastballs he throws, it's like Lance Lynn-like almost. Yeah. But he's getting the job done, and it's not like he's getting lucky. He no. is pitching well. Yes, and a lot of it is on the back of this changeup, a pitch that was not really advertised as he was coming up as the out pitch. It was always fastball slider, fastball slider. The changeup's work in progress. That'll be the difference maker. It's the complete opposite of that right now. This pitch is such a fucking weapon. It's like astounding. He makes hitters look foolish with this pitch over and over again. On Wednesday against the Braves, it had seven whiffs on 18 swings. Again, it has wholly replaced the slider as his off-speed pitch of choice. He threw it twice as much as a slider, more so than that. On the back of that pitch, he outpitched Max Freed. Who owns the Mets. Yes. And owns the Mets. Like, McGill, birthday boy, shout out to him. He really stepped up. You were a little nervous before this game. I did. I text you that one. Which nervous. you've been nervous the last two times, and McGill has shut uh, you down. So good. I'm the jinx. That's perfect. You are the jinx. Keep being nervous about McGill, because he'll keep proving you wrong, even though you're not, like, against them kind of thing. No, I love Tyler McGill. I was nervous about Taiwan today, though, but that we'll get to that in five minutes. Yeah. Just this guy. Like, damn. The only issue I have with this McGill start is I would not have left him out for this sixth inning. I would not have let the Braves seen him a third time. Again, like you said, he was throwing basically 60% fastballs. The fastball performed better than it has in any of his recent starts. That 14 called strikes plus whiffs, something I've talked about recently. That was 29%. That's a really good number, but you kind of just felt like even though he was never in trouble or never pitching poorly, that the more they were going to see him, someone was going to get to him. And you know, luckily for us, they didn't really get to him. He gave up a couple runs, and his ERA at one point was below two, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy to say for Tyler McGill, who was a guy who started the year in what, double A? Yes. Nuts. He'd never thrown a pitch above single A. That's so crazy. Yeah. What an absolute gift we got with Tyler McGill. Continues to be a really good pitcher. I, I, lo- I love the dude. Big, big dick energy. The one thing we will say is that he did give up the home run to Austin Riley, which you mentioned you didn't want him to pitch the sixth inning. And I think the Mets were trying to be aggressive, trying yep. to save the bullpen after a bullpen day and yep. Jared Eikhoff, debauch- debauchery or whatever that word is debacle. that I'm trying. Yeah, debacle, I think is what I was really looking for. Yeah. Austin Riley, man. Holy shit. Does that guy kill the Mets? He's looking like Glaber Torres against the Orioles. I mean, his numbers, he's, he's having a good year overall, yeah. but the Mets are helping him out a ton. Chipper Riley right now. There's really nothing to do about it. Austin Burrell. Yeah, he's killing us. He has firmly cemented himself as a Met killer because seemingly every time he steps up to the plate, he makes something happen. I listened to this game on the radio, and Howie was really groaning about that. He was like, this is the new one. I knew there was going to be one. Someone was going to pop up. It couldn't couldn't go for too long, and it's now Austin Riley. Well, the crazy thing about him, too, is he's a god-awful third baseman. Horrendous (laughs) defensively. But against the Mets, he makes crazy plays, too. He plays at a level that we've never seen Austin Riley play at before when he plays the Mets. That happened in the doubleheader. He made a crazy diving play in game one. I totally forgot about that. Like, going down the line. I forgot who hit it. It might have been VR. I don't remember. But... Austin Riley, new Mets killer. If you guys need someone to hate, it's Austin Riley. Yes, he is public enemy number one right now on the Braves. He is Is just killing us. End of the group? Is he a rat fuck? Yeah, he's a rat fuck. He's a rat fuck. He joins the group for sure. Made it 1-1 at the moment. May came in after McGill. He was great. Yep. 
loop, some some trouble, but we've... we've first, first time it looked mortal in a while. Yeah. But, again, still got out of it. Yeah. Familia, save the friggin' day. Yeah. He is... When when that sinker's moving, when that sinker's on, he's untouchable. It's sinking. Sinker is typically not a pitch that you like to see pitchers throw nowadays just because of how swings work and everything. It's not a pitch that necessarily plays well like it used to. But Familia's sinker moves unlike any sinker in Major League Baseball. It's essentially a splitter that's coming like 97 miles an hour. It a, drops so much. A few sinkers move like his. I'm not going to put them on this grand pedestal like Oh, that. I will. I will put Familia's Blake, sinker. Like Tranion? Okay, Blake Trying. Fine. <laughs> All right. All right yeah, he's yeah, good. All right. Yeah. The Witcher is fine. Yeah, it's fine. Good one. But Familia's sinker on when it's on on any given day, it's unhittable. Yes. And we saw that in this game against the Braves. And all of these guys all they did was set up my king, Brandon Drury, to continue his torrid July, his mammoth stretch, the lefty masher, the pinch hitter extraordinaire. Go ahead, home run. Six for six since his call-up, and right. this is what pushed it to that six for six. An absolute shot. He loves to hit a high-towering home run to left field. He has got that left field fence on lockdown. He knows exactly how far he needs to hit it, <laughs> and he crushed it. He absolutely yeah. crushed it. Bench mob, stand the fuck up, baby. Bench mob, buy the bench mob shirt. Uh, check our Twitter, we'll tweet it out. Bench mm-hmm. mob T-shirt, buy it. To stick with the bench mob, the Mets pinch hitters this year, hitting shockingly well. They're hitting two seventy as a team. That's almost a hundred points more than league average pinch hitters. That's crazy, disgusting. That's yeah. nuts. Yeah, three seventy in the month of July with four home runs. The Mets have four pinch hit home runs in July. That's so crazy. Doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah, between Peraza and Drury and McNeil would get some pinch hit opportunities and Guillaume. Yeah. I mean, we will. This is something we talked about at the beginning of the year. The Mets' depth this mm-hmm. year is really good because now when we're going to the bench, we're not pulling out Matt Reynolds. We're not pulling out Eric Campbell, Matt Dendecker. We have legitimate Major League Baseball players, and I feel like this pinch hitting stat shows it better than any stat out there right now for us about our depth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then Diaz. Yes. Whew. Edwin. Yeah. Edwin. This was bad, Diaz. He was good in Game 2. Yeah. Lights out. Mm-hmm. Now Game 4, mm. it's a different story. You can kind of feel whatever Edwin you're going to get with literally the first pitch of the inning. If if he misses, if he throws a ball first pitch, you go, uh, yeah. yikes. Especially when he throws one in the other, bat, other batter's box like he did. Yeah. Against don't what, feel, Abraham Almonte? Don't feel great. I think Almonte was up second, or Almonte was up first. I think right? he was up first. Yeah, because Almonte laced a double, and we immediately all sat back in our chairs, and we're like, ah, shit. Here it is. Here it is. Like, Edwin, again, has been good this year in safe situations. Quite good. We know he's been a little rough recently against the bad teams, which is so weird. Then he had two really great saves against the good teams. Yep, so he's kind of like the Mets in that place of this competition, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But it was not off to an easy start. Nope. And then Michael Conforto was like, yeah. hold on, guys. If I'm not going to hit, I'm going to at least make an impact somehow. And even Keith applauded him. He goes, even though this guy's not making an impact with the bat, you have the ability to do something every single day you step out on the field. And Conforto did with that absolutely beautiful throw. Oh, my God. Cannon. If that throw is three feet to the left or three feet to the right, that tag is not down. That's a tie ball game. We could be having a very different podcast right now. Tie ball game for sure. It gave me flashbacks to last year when Lugo in Philadelphia, we had Wilson Ramos who can hold on to the ball. Thank God we have James McCann. While he's been disappointing this year, to say the least. Oh, he's been okay. I think people expected more. I don't know if they should have. Yeah, I think actually he's performing just right to expectations. Like 700 OPS, I think he has for the year right now. With decent defense. And defensively, like he made a nice play there too. He caught the ball, made the good tag, made sure he... This is a big thing catchers don't do. They don't tag the feet. He went right for the foot. He got him. (laughs) Nice and easy. Also, all-time bad slide by Abraham Almonte. Terrible slide. If he would have hooked it, he was safe by a mile. Yep, terrible (laughs) slide. McCann made the tag, caught the ball, saved the inning completely. Mm -hmm. Also, what were the Braves doing running there with one out? 
I see the idea there. They're at the bottom of their batting order. I think Pablo Sandoval was on deck, who he has, what, like probably two or three hits since April? Yeah, and that's when he hit those home runs and hasn't done anything since. Yes, you can't count on much from him there. And Ron Washington, that's... That's a riverboat guy. He like, well, we've talked about it. This is a the Braves taker. the Braves management group. What is it called? The coaches. That's what yeah. their words are. Yeah, the coaches. The coaches. These are some guys we want to hang out with. They've got some stories. <laughs> Rob Washington would be a great hang. Snicker, great hang. Snicker's been in the Braves organization for what, like fifty years. Walt Weiss. Walt Weiss. Weiss. Ron, I love Ron, to drink light beer with these guys. Ron Washington participated in the Booger Sugar, so I'm sure he's had some fun. And just to defend Ron Washington for a second, along with being Pablo Sandoval being on deck. If that's not a perfect throw on the money, literally he threw it on Abraham Almonte's foot. Yes. It's your safe. Yeah, no, he's And is when safe. you're a team like the Braves who's kind of reeling, you've lost your best player for the season, you're a little bit falling out of contention, you kind of got to take some shots. Yeah, because honestly, if they did win that game, this series could have looked a lot different. Yes. So in retrospect, I still don't know why he sent them. I think like baseball, the traditional sense, you would have said you hold them there, one out, fly ball wins a wow. game. Vibes, send them. But vibes, I, I've even called out DeSarcina for not being as aggressive. So I guess to play devil's advocate here, I'm being a little hypocritical. <laughs> but Mets win this game. Yes. We got out of it. Big win. Good stuff. Mets needed two wins from this series. It's actually word for word what we said on Sunday. Yes. Got to find two. If you find three, it's a big win. Find two and you'll hurt yourself. Only lost the game to the Braves this series because yes. game five was not a good one. No, this game started at noon and it felt like it started at noon. Yeah, the Mets felt a little asleep. Taiwan, while he started off the game strong, we saw what is now a serious concern with Taiwan yeah. Walker and it's that this dude's just tired. This dude is just, mm-hmm. he's running out of gas a little bit. Yeah, Taiwan Walker only threw 67 innings between 2018 and 2020 between injuries, ineffectiveness, more injuries, and he's already at 100 for the season. And I think to just put into perspective for people, Steven Strasburg, like before he had like the major Tommy John surgery thing, he was a guy who threw a lot of innings, did the Tommy John. He only threw 100 the next year. Mm -hmm. So you have to be super careful with guys coming back from injuries. It makes sense why Taiwan's running out of gas, but I'll let you continue on this. Yeah, you're almost right now at the limit of where you would have wanted to forecast Taiwan Walker for the season. The Mets thought they were coming to the season with much more pitching depth. That hasn't come to fruition. They might have some more by the time you guys listen to this podcast. I hope to God they have it by 4 p.m. on Friday because I don't really know what we can expect from Taiwan Walker over the next month. There's nothing really statistical we can point to. Like his velocity is still pretty level. His spin rates are where they've been since the crackdown. His stuff isn't really moving more or less, but his whiffs are dropping. His chase rate is dropping. His strikeouts are dropping. Players are hitting the ball harder against him. And if you watch him, it just doesn't feel like it did in April and May. It doesn't. The command isn't there. The stuff isn't really there. He doesn't feel sharp anymore. No, he doesn't feel sharp. The command definitely isn't there. It feels like he's missing pitches a lot more, which, again, will come down to a tired arm. Like you said, in the last three years, he's thrown combined 67 innings. Probably didn't help that he went to the All-Star game either, honestly. He probably needed that time off to just relax, ice that arm up, whatever you have to do, because he is going to... I mean, we need him. We need him. Yes, really badly. But that's why the pitching acquisition at the deadline is going to be so big because if we can ease that load off of Taiwan here, it would be huge. But right now, you can't because we just don't have that pitching yet. No, Taiwan really needs the old Fugazi DL stint. He needs three weeks off. Yeah. 
He's just got to hang out, rest, rehabilitate, keep the mental aspect going, keep studying up, stick with the team. Throw a couple bullpens. Yeah, he seems to be a very valuable member of this clubhouse. And as bad as he looked today, he was still working hard for us. The bulldog mentality, as Mark has mentioned many times in this show, he just wasn't super effective with it. Yeah, and I think that like really shows why he's like tired. It's not anything actually wrong with Taiwan Walker. It's simply his arm is just not ready to throw this it's much. actually fatigue. Yes, like he's legitimately gassed yes. out. And this is something that I've alluded to in previous episodes, especially on my Twitter, Fology there had no range. It just wasn't going to happen all year with Taiwan. There was no way this guy was going to pitch in the high twos or even the low threes. He's right there at 3.5, 3.6-ish right now, I think, after today. His estimators are a full run above. His stat cast page is as ugly as one you'll see in the bigs from a guy who's looked as good as him this year. It's a problem. It's something I'm very concerned with. Very concerned. Concerned with... He'll be fine going into next year, which I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but this isn't like a long-term problem, I think, with Taiwan. It's just simply he doesn't have the innings under his belt. You got 22 on the brain today. I have had 22 on the brain a little bit today. <laughs> I'm getting excited. I'm just, we're talking trades. We're talking teams here. We're talking about the Mets. I'm, I'm getting excited. Now, to get off of Taiwan here, because I feel like we don't want to shit on the guy. We love Taiwan here. Yeah, we're big oh, Taiwan yeah. fans. We just are telling you the truth. He's tired. Yes. I think he would, if he wasn't like, you know, such a bulldog, I think he'd probably admit it to you. But he's not going to ever say that, of course, because he is. He's a gamer. Yeah. What was cool about this game, while the Mets offense was just so frustrating to watch because we had a lot of hits. Yeah. And we had a lot of double plays. All, all, all the old school singles crowd out there. How'd you like this one? Yeah. This is why you don't hit singles. This nah. is why singles are irrelevant. This is why a guy like Joey Gallo, who the Yankees just traded for, is a fantastic player because yeah. he doesn't hit singles. But one cool thing was Pete Alonso hit an absolute nuke. Yeah. Oh hit my God. the upper decks today. My goodness. They were talking on the broad- broadcast about guys who have hit the upper decks. And the names were John Carlos Stanton. Uh, what was the other one? I couldn't even remember. The- Cespedes. Of course. Mark Reynolds. Mark Reynolds. That was mm-hmm. the other one, too, that yep. they mentioned. And Pete Alonso. Yes. Nobody hits the ball up there. No. It is a poke. I think it went 452, which is an absolute. 453. 453 shot. Yeah. If that home run was only 453 feet, you're going to see him in the Olympics later this week. Yeah. That is the <laughs> fakest 453 ever. That must have been like 453 where it landed. They didn't count for the fact that the stands are like a couple hundred feet higher than where the ground is. 475 minimum. StatCast. Please prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong. That was a cool thing on the offense as well as, I guess, Brandon Drury staying hot. Another two hits. Went eight for eight. Seven for seven, I believe. No. Eight. Oh, it was eight for eight? He, he got to two, eight for eight. Two hits today? Yeah, he had two First hits two? today. Yeah. And then he did ground to a big double play when we had a shot. Hit the ball hard. Yeah. Hit the ball hard. And then he hit the ball again hard in the ninth inning. But Because, damn, we were hitting the ball hard off Will Smith. That was such an annoying ninth. Yeah. Ugh. That was like I think a positive take from this is that like the Mets did hit the ball hard today. Very hard. Hit into some hard outs. Hit Tons. into some tough luck for sure. So while this game didn't look good in the box score because a lot of hits, not a lot of runs, guys left on base, the Mets are swinging the bat still well after struggling early in the series. Yes, but even in those games early in the series, not so much game one. For some reason, we just really couldn't touch Kyle Muller. Game two, we had a lot of hard hit balls off Bryce Wilson. It was like five and three innings. Jared Lackoff game didn't happen. We had a lot of hits game four, the McGill game. And this one, again, like we were putting the ball in play. The Braves, for some reason, just become a good defensive team when we play them. Yeah, well, I mean, they'll throw Guillermo Herrera and Abraham Almonte and Jock Peterson learned how to play right oh, field. Oh, my God. Because he made some great plays in right, Two too. Two great catches. So, it is what it is. Mets got beat. It's one of those games. Uh, Akeem Bostic made his MLB debut, yep. as you put so lovingly in the notes, high and by, because Carlos Carrasco is making his debut tomorrow, coming off the six-day IL, which means Akeem Bostic has probably played his last game for the New York Mets. Thanks for playing, man. He yeah. had a nice appearance. I'm glad that Fine. he did well in what could possibly be his only Major League appearance. I'm happy that Akeem Bostic is going to get a nice game check out of this. Yeah, shout out to South Carolina as well. Mm-hmm. Went to school there. Always love to see guys from Threw the state there. do well. I went to school there. 
No, I'm saying I went to school. Oh, yeah. yeah he yeah. grew up there. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so nice to see guys from that state do well. What are you going to do, man? Sometimes you lose. The Mets series could have gone way worse. I'm no. not happy about this, but I'm not sad. No, the Mets had three starting pitchers this series in five games, and they won two of them. That's fine. It's fine. Yeah. One thing I will tell you I'm sad about, though, Kamar Rocker. Yep. We have to talk about this because yes. this is bad. This is getting ugly. This is going to take the place of our prospect report this midweek episode because there's a lot between Rocker, five games, trade deadline. We don't want to keep you here all day. You know? No, we don't want to keep you here all day. Kamar Rocker looks like he might not be a New York Met. Yeah, good chance. 50-50, I'd say right now. Yeah, 50-50, and maybe the Mets are playing, you know, tough guy here, that the trade deadline's their main focus, and we're not really worried about Kamar, even though the deadline's, I think, pretty similar. Friday and Sunday. Yeah, but uh, right I, now there's a difference of money, and Kamar Rocker might not sign. Yes, I I think the Mets might be playing tough guy-ish with the deadline, but I don't really fault the Mets for the stance they're taking here. There's a lot of, as happens, like, there's a lot of hate for what the Mets are doing right now on Twitter, like, oh... These billionaires can't just fork over a couple extra million dollars. Sure, they could theoretically, but like just taking like the people and the money out of it. Kamar Rocker, Scott Boris, and the Mets agreed to a number before medicals were taken. Everyone was fine with that. Medicals were taken. They found something that wasn't disclosed, and now they want to agree to a different number. Logistically, I don't see why that's an issue. Yeah, I think if you are the Mets front office, that is the right way to go about this. That is like doing your due diligence. You make sure that nothing's wrong. And if there is, you're obviously not going to pay him like he's a healthy player because from what it looks like, Kamar Rocker's getting Tommy John at some point. Whether it's with the Mets or it's when he's at Vandy, he's going to need Tommy John surgery. They haven't officially said what the issue is, but whenever a team gets caught up on medicals, it's something with the elbow. That being said, I understand why Kamar Rocker wants his money. They agreed to it. He has Scott Boris as his agent. You want to get the most money possible. But if you're Kamar, it's, it's a dangerous game here. His stock has plummeted. Mm-hmm. Now knowing this medical information here, I don't know if he's going to get this much money, even with the Mets offering him that cut or that cheap rate. I know it's going to be tough for him to get four or five million dollars next year if he stays in Vandy. That's with him being healthy. Yeah, there's a chance he's not. There's a great chance he's not because even if he gets Tommy John surgery in the next month, let's say he doesn't sign, let's say the, the window passes, the Mets don't sign Kamar Rocker, the Mets get a uh, compensatory pick next year. Rocker's back at Vanderbilt. Now Rocker is not pitching for an entire year. Rocker enters the draft next year after not pitching for an entire year. The last time he did pitch, he had a pretty bad month. He has now played hard to get with two different Major League Baseball organizations. And on top of that, he will, have, he will be a college senior. As we saw in this year's draft, Major League teams played a lot of hardball with college seniors. I don't know how Kumar Rocker even gets $2.5 million next year, unless he just does the classic throw a bullpen on Instagram 100 miles an hour. Which, that's entirely possible, for sure, but that's a really dicey game for Kamar Rocker. And it seems like the Mets are still offering him north of $3.5 million. Yes, it's a, it's super dicey right now. And I understand the fans' frustration. I yeah. admit, I'm a little frustrated, too. Yeah, me too. The fact that we have, you know, a, an owner that's a billionaire, lots of money, richest owner in baseball, and we are, you know, essentially talking about fractions of a percentage of what the money actually means in that $4 million to $6 million for Kamar Rocker. Just sign the guy, let him get Tommy John, whatever it's going to be. But I get it. It's a precedent. It's about being smart. This is a smart Mets organization now. We've talked about this over and over again. We're not going to make stupid decisions. Paying him that extra $2 million, while it doesn't really make sense like to the fans of like, why wouldn't you do it? $2 million is nothing. For an organization to make that decision, it, it, it is important to be smart with it. Another part about this is the um, disclosure of information. 
A lot of young pitchers these days, Reed Detmars of the Angels and Matthew Libertor of the Cardinals come to mind. They do a lot of development and um, medical, not only medical procedures, not getting surgery on their own, but they're, they're taking a lot of their own records and you have the right to keep that hidden. But I think the Mets are going to be running this organization now from the top down very openly. So they would like some of their most prized assets, Kamar Rocker, soon, hopefully soon to be one of them, to be more comfortable disclosing everything. I don't think that they want the rug pulled out from under them again. And this would be a bad precedent to set in terms of that. Which it would. And I know that we just took JT Ginn, who's a guy who, again, coming back from Tommy John, but he was coming back. It's a big difference. And I think a lot of people like to draw comparisons to JT Ginn with Kamar Rocker here. It's not the same. Ginn already had the procedure. He was done. He was recovering. Kamar is going to need it at some point from what it seems like. Again, no official word on this. It's it's tough. It's really, really tough. The Mets want Kamar Rocker. They just want him for cheaper. Definitely. Yeah, and it seems like he only dropped a 10 because most teams are probably semi-aware of this, including the Mets. And I'm sure the Mets' plan all along was to try and get him for less money when push came to shove at this point. Of course, their later draft picks didn't really reflect that, but maybe they also weren't trying to show their hand to agent extraordinaire Scott Boris. I don't know. It's a real sticky, hairy situation that I'm not really a massive fan of right now. And I think it's also worth noting something that I forgot to mention. Apparently, one of the reasons why I dropped a 10-2 is because pitchers are supposed to get like this mandatory MRI before the draft, especially if you're considered like one of the top 50 or top 100 guys. Kamar Rocker was the only guy not to get one before the draft. That's that right there is sketchy. a big red flag. Yeah. So, yes, the Mets still took a guy at the number 10 spot, knowing that there could be some medical issues here. They took a risk. It sucks, but at the absolute worst, we get the number 11 pick next year. It seems like this has been a cat and mouse game. And we, as the fans, are learning about this much later than I'm sure Steve Cohen, Sandy Alderson, Zach Scott, Kamar Rocker, and Scott Boris were aware of what was going to happen here. Yeah, it's, it's going to play out. It's going to be stressful. The good mm-hmm. thing, though, is that we have something else to focus our energy on, which we're now going to switch to, which is the MLB trade deadline. Yep. Which the Mets, we've been talking about it all podcast long. We want them to make moves. As of right now, they still have not made any outside of Rich Hill. We've seen Anthony Rizzo, Danny Duffy. Uh, Who's the other guy that flew off the board? Max Scherzer looks like he's going to be traded to the Padres and or Dodgers. Cesar Hernandez, Brad Hand, Jimmy Garcia, Kendall Graveman, Diego Castillo. Guys are going. Guys are going. Names are flying. Joey Gallo, forgot him. He's a pretty big one. Adam Frazier, who a lot of Mets fans, not us, but a lot of Mets fans wanted. We covered that the last podcast. There have been some names that have been flying off, but a lot of the guys the Mets are still interested in are still available at the time of this recording. Chris Bryant, mm-hmm. Javi Baez, mm-hmm. those guys, Jose Barrios. Trevor Story, Trevor John Story. Gray. Yep, which I, the more and more I think about it, I think Trevor Story and John Gray could be a legit possibility here, especially with what we just saw the Yankees do for Anthony Rizzo mm-hmm. and Joey Gallo. We're starting to kind of find that in-between of what the market is starting to look like, especially for hitters. Yes. There's a chance that the Mets could pull that off, I think, for sure. Definitely, and I think a lot of Mets fans are holding... Too much against Trevor Story for a bad three months of baseball. Trevor Story had some elbow problems earlier in the season. It was rumored that Tommy John might be a possibility for him. He just decided to rehab instead, was back in about three weeks. He's had some fielding trouble this year. His uh, mile per hour to first base has been way down. He's had more throwing errors he's ever had in a single season just in the first half this year alone. And I think people are kind of knocking him down too many rungs for really small, minute things like that. This is one of the elite players in baseball. Pound for pound, he's probably top 20 in the whole game. He runs well, steals mm-hmm. bases, plays good defense outside of this season. He's been a great glove, a gold great. glove. Still a good glove. I'm saying the throws. Like, if you need to be a second baseman, I'm sure we could facilitate that yes, in a month. Of course. He's got power. Yeah. He's not hitting for as much average as he has in the past. He's but, having a very bad year. Yeah, he's having a rough year. Career. But he also has zero 
protection in that lineup. There is no reason to throw Trevor Story a good pitch. And we've seen this happen with stars before. When there's nobody around them, it is really hard to thrive. I'm happy to take a shot on Trevor Story because, as you just said, he is a top 20 player in the game when Uh all said and done. And I'm sure it took a lot out of Trevor Story mentally to see his infield mate get traded for pennies in the dollar just before the season started. And he's known all season he was a dead man walking. He didn't want to negotiate with the Rockies. Who would want to negotiate with the Rockies? They're a trash organization. They perform gross incompetence on a daily basis. It's awful. Like, how could you get jacked up for a Rockies game right now? No, not possible. Rockies fans, Rockies organization, Rockies players, it's bad right there, right now. And the good thing for the Mets is that they do have two guys that we are interested in, for mm-hmm. sure, in Story and Gray. And the Rockies should be forced to sell their franchise. They shouldn't be allowed to exist anymore if they don't get rid of those two guys. They have to move. And I think that's why you're seeing the Mets be so patient is that we are so interested in guys that have to be moved. We don't have to make a push yet. Nobody has made a push for these guys yet. Definitely. And most of the news that came out about the Mets trade deadline plans over the last like two-ish days was that the Mets were focused on rentals. And that is the slow play game. Like, we will wait until 357 to pull the trigger on this deal. Steve Cohen, that guy has iron balls. You only make $14 billion by being a nervous guy. You don't make $14 million. Oh, billion. Of, yeah. Oh, yeah, million? My God, that's peasant cash, please. $14 billion with that's, a B. That's other owners. Yeah, that's other owners. Imagine not having $14 billion. Pores. House Steinbrenner money. Yeah, <laughs> gross. Imagine shopping in the bear. They're having other teams pay their contracts. Oh. Disgusting. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> you almost said Bargain Barrel. Yeah, I know. They got two really good players. They did get two really good players in Rizzo and Gallo. Those are great moves. But this isn't a Yankees podcast. Fuck the Yankees. Fuck the We're Yankees. talking about the Mets here. Steve Cohen, he's a smart dude. Sandy Alderson's a smart dude. Zach Scott, they've shown they know what to do with this front office here. I trust them. I trust them that they're going to make the right move. As of right now, we don't know what it is. Mm-mm. But from what I'm hearing, the Mets are very aggressive with Chris Bryant. A little birdie, you know, tripped in my ear. Told me Chris Bryant is the guy the Mets are going after. And that Jalen Palmer will be included in that deal if the if Chris Bryant's move. This birdie might be wrong. I don't know. But I have pretty good feeling that this guy knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the Mets get Chris Bryant. We've talked about him. We want him. He's a good ball player. Top 10 third baseman in the league. Would help us out. Definitely. It seems like the Mets are trying to do some type of group buy, whether it be John Gray and Trevor Story or some combination of Chris Bryant, Craig Kimbrell, and Zach Davies. Those teams are going to want to do that because it'll push the uh, prospect capital up. You might be able to snake a guy like Mark Vientos away from the Mets right now because it seems like they're pretty committed to holding on to Ronnie Mauricio. Which is obvious in how we've been negotiating or trying to get Jose Barrios. Yeah. And they said that the Mets are like, whoa, they're asking for too much. And that's probably Ronnie Mauricio and other prospects for Barrios, which I'm very much open to giving up Barrios. But again, we don't want to go too crazy. Giving up Mauricio. Oh, Mauricio. My names are also screwed up today. It's been it's been a long day. I feel like I've said a thousand names this episode. When we sat down to record this podcast, we were like 7 o'clock already. The trade deadline is a stressful time for me as a content creator. And James, as a Mets fan, it's a stressful time for us as well. Double the stress right now. It is a lot. Oh, fun. In, in the, in the uh, pressure cooker. Yes, but... Mets are going to make a move. I'm confident in it. Me too. If you have one player you think the Mets are going to go for, who is it? Who do the Mets land? Chris Bryant, Zach Davies. Wow. Okay. I'm going Story and John Gray. We shall see. We (laughs) shall see. We'll bet another pomegranate Vizzy on that. How about Uh that? I made a bet with Mark yesterday when the Gallo news came out between the trade being official and the names of the Yankees prospects going toward Texas were not announced. I said there was no way that Anthony Volpe or Oswald Peraza would be in the trade. I bet a a drink at the blackout Friday night because the transition into the Reds preview. We're going to the game tomorrow night, back in black. We need like the ACDC like, yeah, like in there or whatever. I'll try to do that. Yeah.
Let's and do it after it. I did it. Okay. We've got to keep mine in there, of course, because okay. I, I think that was pretty good. It was okay. All right. <laughs> but yeah, back in Black Friday uh-huh. and Carlos Carrasco making his debut. Yes. It should be Electric City. Mm-hmm. Scranton's the Electric City. No, Flushing, the Electric City. Sometimes. Sometimes. But we're going to take it over. Yeah. I'm really excited for this. The Black Jerseys are debuting. Carrasco debut as well. Mm-hmm. It should be a packed house. We're going to be there literally from the ga- time the gates open because yeah. we don't want to miss any second of it. No. I'm so amped for this game. I'm amped for this series. We got the Reds coming in. We smacked them around Cincinnati. Mm. They still are good offense, and Joey Votto is the hottest player in Major League Baseball. Yeah. But this Mets team, we're good. We could beat them. Definitely. And. You're going to hear a lot over the next few days about how Carlos Carrasco is the Mets' deadline acquisition. Take that with a grain of salt. If it comes from upper management, you should give them hell because they have control over that. A guy like Luis Rojas says it. That's okay. He can't make a trade. No, he's not in control at all. He's dealing with the players he has at his disposal. And Carlos Carrasco is a good one. If he performs anything like he did in his last rehab assignment, that slider was sliding, 96 on the gun. He had, I think, eight strikeouts, seven strikeouts in three innings. We could be in for a real special second half with Carlos Carrasco. And Mets fans, patient with Carrasco. I know yep. it's going to be tough to hear, and I know it's going to be tough to see him throw probably four innings tomorrow. Because mm-hmm. he's probably going to have, what, 60 to 80 pitch count? We don't know what it is. They haven't said anything. Probably twice around the order. Twice around the order. you got to treat him with kitty gloves. He's coming back from a torn, torn hamstring and coming back from all his litany of injuries that he's had. This guy had cancer less than three years ago. Yeah, like he's you got to treat him delicately. And he's a little up there in age, too. He's 35 years old. He's going to be good, though. Just... Be patient. Take your time. He's going to be a nice arm for us, and I'm excited to pitch for the first time with the Mets on Friday. Mm -hmm. Who do we got the rest of the series here? The rest of the series is going to be pretty fun. So the Mets have Carrasco, Hill, and Stroman. So lines up basically as good as it can right now in the Mets world based on the pitchers at our disposal. And we're going up against Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray, Carrasco, that's a good old-timey, you know, American League matchup. Good pitchers. Yeah, it's going to be a well-pitched game. All the lights are going to be on Friday night. Saturday evening, though, Rich Hill versus Wade Miley. Which might be the most exciting, boring game of all time. It's going to be a slog. (laughs) Yeah, ooh, slog. I like that. That is the perfect word for it because these are two guys who basically throw the same. Rich Hill is just Wade Miley 10 years later. Yeah, it's Wade Miley 10 years. Two guys who don't shave every day. No, don't shave. Don't really care about their appearance. They just come out there and like, I'll throw five innings. What do you you need? Like beer game. Ooh, definitely a light beer game. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then on Sunday afternoon, both going to be there again, Marcus Stroman versus our boy Vladimir Gutierrez, who we need to beat the piss out of again. Because he's a bad pitcher. Not good. There's one cool thing about Vladimir Gutierrez. I'll say it again. That neck tattoo of the spider thing, Not bad. it is so cool, but Not also bad. lame at the same time. Smack Vladimir Gutierrez around. This is a series. All series, we got to win. This uh-huh. is a very winnable one, though. Yes. Just don't let Joey Votto beat you. Because right now, Joey Votto is the hottest player on the earth. He has, what, eight or nine home runs in his last six games. He was quoted after the game today saying, I'm trying to hit home runs, and I am hitting home runs, because I'm trying to hit home runs. He's figured it out, and that's scary, because he was a former MVP. Yeah, Joey Votto to the Hall of Fame was actually trending over these last couple of days. So well, that, that's how hot you know he is. He's saving his possible Hall of Fame candidacy by learning how to hit home runs again. I don't think the one-time MVP is a good shot at the Hall of Fame, but maybe. Ah, his on-base percentage is so sick. Really? He's he's a 400 on-base you know percentage guy for his career. But anyway, we're getting into minutia of things here. Mets, Reds, big series. Hopefully we have some acquisitions to talk about on the next episode of the Mets Up Podcast here. Because I think this is where we're going to wrap this one up here. The Brave series... While it was five games, not a lot to talk about. Kamar Rocker, trade deadline. That's really what stole the show here. And hopefully on this next episode, after we beat the Reds, maybe a sweep. I'm feeling good. Let's sweep them. Why not? Let's get aggressive. Let's win a series. The Mets have been winning a lot of series recently. They've been just very up and down. Basically 500 team over the last month, month and a half. Let's take two or three. Yep. Let's take two of three. Let's take a sweep if we can. That'd be really cool. We feel haven't done that in a very long time. I can't tell you the last time the Mets swept a team. Have we swept a team? 
They definitely swept our team. Have we? We had a four-game sweep against the Phillies in April. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. Could that be the only one? That might be the only one. And maybe like a two-game sweep. We don't do three-game sweeps. Get that out of here. Let's do it this weekend. I'm calling big things. Let's get a three-game sweep here. Swept the Diamondbacks at home in May. Yes, they're bad, though. Yeah. They're really bad. I don't know. We didn't sweep the Orioles either time we played them. That's also true. We might have oh. done actually at City Field, did we? Yeah, we did do it at City Field. Okay, yeah. And I think we we, we had like a seven-game winning streak at one point. After the, Diamondbacks, after the Orioles, Diamondbacks, we won games after. That was the Raccoon week. Yes. Let's harness that energy again. Let's right. get back on that winning streak here. Let's get a new acquisition in here. Let's get Chris Bryant. Let's get Jose Barrios. Let's get everybody. We're the New York Mets. We got money now. Let's spend it. Let's go win. Let's go Mets. That's the end of this episode, guys. Episode number 36 of the Mets Up Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at Metzed Up, YouTube channel, Metzed Up Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Drop us a rating, drop us a review. Follow James on Twitter at Jeter Had No Range. Me, Giraffe Neck Mark. Thanks for listening, thanks for watching, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Peace out. Back in black.